Ezekiel chapter 33 this evening, Sunday night through the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, and we make, have made our way to uh, Ezekiel chapter 33. If you're with us tonight and you don't have a Bible, you'll need a Bible to be able to kind of keep track of what's going on, so just flag one of these guys coming up the aisles right now, and they'll put a Bible into your hand, and I make that gift, uh, that Bible a gift from the Lord to you tonight, if you don't own one, and... Uh, and then bring it with you next time and start to mark in it and underline and all of those great things. Uh, having in chapters 24 through 23, just a quick uh, kind of uh, getting us to where we are here in chapter uh, 33, but chapters 24 through 33, we remember, uh, contained God's uh, prophetic uh, warnings and, and prophecies of judgment against the Egypt and the other nations that surrounded uh, Judah uh, for the, and, and the, the judgment that God would bring upon them for their own sin, their own idolatry, and for their rejoicing over God's chastening of His people and taking advantage of that chastening, His discipline, uh, for their own uh, advantage. And, uh, and then as we uh, come now from chapter 33 really to the end of the book, the focus returns uh, completely to Israel, completely to uh, the Jewish people, and uh, primarily and prophetically all the way uh, through her history, uh, in, in uh, not only in the time of Ezekiel, but down all the way through to Israel becoming a nation once again, as we'll see in a couple of chapters, that remarkable prophecy, all the way into the kingdom age where uh, uh, their temple is rebuilt during uh, the kingdom age. In chapter 33, Ezekiel uh, and, and the Lord returns Ezekiel's thoughts to his responsibility as a watchman. Um, it's interesting, when I read the Bible, I never, uh, I never look at God's repetitions uh, as being needless. I never, he warns us against vain repetitions, and if he would warn us against vain repetitions, he's certainly not going to engage uh, in them. So when he repeats himself, uh, there's a reason for that. And all the way back in Ezekiel chapter th uh, 3, when the Lord had commissioned Ezekiel, he called him and commissioned him individually, privately, that he was to become a watchman to uh, the southern kingdom uh, of Judah. And now again in chapter 33, he raises the same imagery again and uh, speaks it now through uh, Ezekiel to the captives that are Jewish captives that are in uh, there in Tel Aviv, and I, I think that the imagery, of course, that he uses is very, very familiar. It is a walled city in the ancient world. Uh, an enemy is now attacking that walled city. These walled cities would always have watchmen up on the wall so that they could see the enemy from a distance and then warn the population to prepare for. Uh, the battle to be prepared for the, the, the war that was going to ensue. So very, very common uh, imagery in, in that day. I think that there's a couple of reasons that God repeats Himself on this issue. And first of all, is the first time He speaks this, He speaks it to Ezekiel in uh, commissioning him into His ministry. It was between Him and God, and now He makes it more public to uh, the, the Jews who are captive there in Tel Aviv that Ezekiel is prophesying to, in order to let them know that uh, Jerusalem is going to fall to the Babylonians, but uh, the, that it will not fall because God had been unfaithful uh, to warn them Himself, and that God had not been uh, unfaithful uh, to not provide them with watchmen to warn them, specifically as it relates to our Bibles, Ezekiel, uh, in uh, the uh, area of Babylon, and then Jeremiah himself in the city of Jerusalem all the way uh, through uh, the end. And so, uh, so many prophets, so many of the priests had uh, not been faithful to warn the children of Israel, and, uh, and so... Uh, but, but Ezekiel had been. I think this is also kind of like a, um, an encouragement to Ezekiel. It wasn't that God was saying to Ezekiel, now, you haven't quite been this, and I really need you to be this. It was, 
uh, this is what I need of my prophets, and you have been this. Um, Sometimes when you are uh, a child of God, and you are in a context of apostasy, uh, whether that's a world, or whether that's a nation, or whether that's a school, or whether that's a family, or whether that's a home, or an apartment complex, or a city, or whatever it might be. And uh, not talking about pagans versus Christians, talking about even within Christianity, where the standard has become so low that God is now having uh, to judge His people to get some kind of distinctiveness in their lives that makes them even marginally different from uh, the world who do not know God. And when, when God's people reach such a low ebb, uh, the person who stands in the midst of that and is faithful to God's calling on their life and obeying God's Word, you can begin to feel like you're the nutcase, uh, that you're the weird one, that you're the fanatic. And, uh, and, and so maybe Ezekiel was feeling something like that, and God comes in and says, no, this is what I need of people in your position, and they are the ones that are failing, not you. Don't, don't you move from your position. Don't you move from who and what you are. You're the one that's being faithful. And I think there's a very, very strong spirit today in certainly, I think, in Christianity, in the Western world, and in the United States, um, the differentiation between the average Christian and the person in the world is that is narrowing, and it shouldn't be the case. But the more that that apostasy occurs, the more that lukewarmness occurs, uh, the more that tendency is for the, the average Christian who just takes this seriously to feel like uh, they're the fanatic, they're crazy, You've gone too far. Uh, live your Christian life quietly, uh, but don't talk about it. Um, uh, go to church, but don't take seriously what you hear there. Come on. And, uh, and if, that, if that smoking flax goes out and, and the bruised reed breaks, then it's all lukewarmness and it's all worldliness. And that's really the kind of peril that Ezekiel found himself in the middle of. Not one Christian in the United States of America, uh, and, and certainly not one Christian in this room, including myself, has any danger of being too zealous for God, uh, too serious about God, uh, too on fire for Him, too obedient to Him. Now, the problem is when we talk about on fire and all, certain kind of craziness of sometimes uh, of Pentecostalism enter, enters into our mind where people sometimes, in some portions of Pentecostalism, feel that the way to be on fire for God or to be zealous for God is to just do nutty things, is an evidence of that. We're, we're a peculiar people, but we're not to be peculiar people in that way. And so this zeal, this passion for God, this love for God, and, and His call upon our lives it will always look like Christ, but it's, it's never to ever ebb. And if any of us tonight are uh, well on our way, or even at the cusp now, of moving into lukewarmness because of the pressure of our peers or our family, or whatever it might be, and they call themselves Christians, don't give in to that. Don't follow that. And I think here is Ezekiel, and he needs affirmation from God that, no, you're making stands, you're speaking for me. Nobody wants to hear you. Nobody wants to listen to a th single thing you say. You've lost your wife. You live virtually alone, not among the pagans but among the Jewish people, the price that you've paid. But still, you must pay that price. You must continue to do that and to be that. And I would say as well that as I look at the world today, and surely we are living in the last days, and if they aren't, we ought to live as if they were. That's the way that every generation of Christians is supposed to be. But 
for each and every one of us to take, we have a personal responsibility. No church, not the Catholic church, no Protestant church, not this church, is, is to ever have the position of a mediator between us and God. We do not gauge our Christian lives on the basis of even what we find in any church we attend. We will not answer to God as a group or as a church. We will do that individually. And more and more as the end of the age comes, an apostasy that the Bible speaks about is going to be important for you and I individually to look at the Christianity and the relationship with God and what God demands and look at it in His Word and determine that in whatever environment God puts me in, that is what I'm going to be, no matter who else is or isn't uh, doing that. And so I think there's an element of, of affirmation here. And certainly uh, no pastor, no prophet, no uh, you know, uh, priest, as we talk about the offices of the, the Old Testament, no spokesperson for God uh, can ever be reminded uh, enough of the seriousness of, of the responsibility that is entrusted to them, entrusted to us by God in, in speaking His, His Word. And no word is more important than the Gospel faithfully in, in our, our age. And so he said, again, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, speak to the children of your people. So here it is now. He's going to declare the same imagery to them. And say to them, When I bring a sword, the sword upon a land, and the people of the land take a man from their territory, and they make him their watchman, when he sees the sword or the attack coming upon the land, if he blows the trumpet and warns the people, then whoever hears the sound of the trumpet and does not take the warning, if the sword comes and takes him away, his blood shall be on his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet, but did not take warning. His blood is upon himself, but he who takes, uh, uh, takes warning will save his life. And so the images of the faithful watchman who declares the message, and uh, because he declares the message, the individual who has heard the message is now responsible for what they do with it. If they do the right thing with it, heed the warning, then, then they will bear the consequences of that favorably if they ignore it. But it's all personal responsibility. It is important to always be reminded, and again, never more important than in sharing the gospel in the world. It is not our responsibility uh, to make converts. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. God does not uh, call us to accomplish in people's lives what only He can accomplish. It is our responsibility to simply let people know what God has to say. And then once they know that, we are no longer responsible uh, for what they do with that invitation of God or with God's Word. We don't carry that weight. But we do have the responsibility of making the gospel known to people and uh, making uh, God's uh, uh, word, whatever it might be, a word of warning known to people. He then speaks of the, the unfaithful watchman in verse 6, but if the watchman sees uh, the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet and the people are not warned and the sword comes and takes any person uh, from among them, he is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at the watchman's hand. And so the failure related to the watchman. As we mentioned when we looked at chapter 3 uh, way back when, the, uh, we are not uh, responsible, nobody's uh, salvation is dependent uh, upon anything or anyone as tenuous and weak as, as you and I. So no one ever ends up in, in uh, heaven or in hell based upon what we did or not, did not do in terms of sharing the gospel. Uh, if we're unfaithful, uh, related to uh, that, then God will simply find another means then to reach uh, that person. And, and so it, it, it doesn't come to where people's blood is upon our heads if, if we didn't share the gospel with them and, and, uh, and, and, and then they, uh, 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 we didn't share the gospel with them. 
that, that we will bear the consequences in terms of reward, how God addresses, uh, sees us responsible for it, but their blood isn't on our head. When the judgment comes, he talks about it. It's interesting uh, he, 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 the, that the person there in verse 6 will be taken away in his own iniquity. Uh, no one ever ends up in eternal judgment because of the failure of the, uh, the, the watchman to, to do his job, uh, to fail to do his job, uh, it is always because of their own iniquity. But having said that, the Apostle Paul, of course, took this very, very seriously when he spoke to uh, the Ephesian elders. And he said, I am free from the blood of all men because I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. So it, it is sobering. Every single one of us as Christians should be in the relationships within our lives, we should be uh, uh, vessels through which God can speak. And we certainly want to share the gospel with uh, everyone that we know, and our family, our friends, our associates, our, our peers. And, and we, we want to, to speak that. But, and, and there should be the anticipation, there should be the prayer for these people to be saved on our prayer list on a daily basis, looking for the opportunity for a, a conversation to go in a certain direction. We see that this is an open door that God is providing to us, and then we go through it to speak of the Lord. So we, we all want to be, we all have a responsibility uh, to, to do that. And, and every Christian. If I am a Christian and it has been uh, months and years and decades, or I have never shared the gospel with another human being, uh, there's something wrong, there's something wrong there. And my salvation isn't at peril, and God in His grace isn't going to make somebody else's uh, salvation to be in peril as a result of it. But it does show I am not serious in the way that the Apostle Paul was to the importance of being a watchman today. But having said that, and the reason I, uh, someone like me, a Bible teacher, pastor, could get up here, and I mean, I could really lay the lashes on here. When is the last time you, and spit going out to the fourth row, and, and, and all of that, and really make everybody feel low, except for the people who know better, and they go, oh, brother, uh, it, did he beat them up horribly. It was awful to listen to. Um, so there is, you know, we're, ma we're mature human beings. And so there is this sobriety, this recognition. How else is another person going to hear the gospel or God's perspective on anything except through his people? So we take it seriously. But it does not mean that out of guilt or condemnation we bust down every single door in every conversation and uh, bring the gospel up as the very first thing that comes out of our mouth before we establish any kind of relationship with them. Now, don't let it be months and years, but uh, to then see, ah, this is, God is opening it up here, or I've, I've listened to them, and, and now the conversation can direct in, in this way. So the importance of, of all of that. Not taking this too far, but not disregarding it uh, either. There's a, a place of the Holy Spirit in, in all of this. And certainly Ezekiel, he represents this. He never uh, prophesied except that he was told to prophesy. But a, a, another thing that we should avoid in this regard, because the, the, uh, so much of this has to do with uh, silence, as we'll see in, in a little bit, uh, silence, uh, going silent when I'm going to pay a price. Uh, for saying something for God in a particular situation. I, I would assume that all of us have had this experience within our life where we've been in a conversation maybe with a family member or a friend or a neighbor or in whatever kind of an environment. And the conversation is going and then boom, there it is. And God gives you exactly what to say right into that situation some subjects being discussed, even something about God, some misconception uh, about God, some craziness about God. And then there's this stirring of the Holy Spirit to speak into that what the Bible actually says there, to speak it in love, but to, to speak. And the danger is, and I, and I have certainly done it, and that is to tamp that down. 
and to say, no, that's not really the Holy Spirit, that's just me, and there's going to be a big fight here, or, or whatever, and I talk myself out of it. And then what can happen is that becomes a pattern, and then pretty soon we're not, we're not open to God using us at all in that way, and very often because it's because of a fear of man. We don't want to lose the relationships. But think about Ezekiel. I mean, he's lost everything. I mean, if we, if we all operated that way, uh, the, the gospel wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't go uh, out into the world at all. And so the importance of being this watchman. And he said, so you, son of man, I have made you. Now he applies it to Ezekiel. I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. And therefore you shall hear a word from my mouth and warn them for me. And when I say to the wicked, O wicked man, you shall surely die. Uh, now that's a message to bring up at the uh, Starbucks. Um, and you do not speak to warn the wicked from his way, but it's exactly what the wicked need to hear. That wicked man shall die in his iniquity. That's why he's going to die. But his blood... Uh, I will, uh, uh, and you don't speak to warn the wicked in his way. That man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. And nevertheless, if you warn the wicked to turn from his way, and he does not turn from his way, you shall die in his iniquity. He, uh, he shall die in his iniquity, but you have delivered uh, your soul. And therefore, you, O son of man, say to the house of Israel, uh, thus you say, if our transgressions and our sins lie upon us and we pine away in them, how can we then live? And so uh, the excuse that the children of Israel were giving to Ezekiel and, and giving uh, to God in, in terms of all of this is that they explained that all of their recent failure in their life, all of their long history uh, of, of sin, they uh, said, what is the use in repenting now and making things right with God when I've uh, lived in rebellion for, with Him so long and the consequences have been uh, uh, so, uh, so great and uh, there, uh, there's nothing that, uh, that I can do that can you know, change the, the circumstances because I've been so long a sinner and so uh, deep a sinner. Uh, some people can say that to us and they can say it because they're ignorant. They don't know the Bible. They don't know the heart of God. And we can correct that, as God is going to do here in a moment. Uh, some people just use it as an excuse to continue in their sin. Ah, oh, I've always been, and, and God, He won't take me back. And, and, uh, and, and it's just an excuse to continue uh, in, in, the weak, in the wickedness. And this is exactly how uh, Judah was, uh, was uh, uh, doing. I mean, if Jerusalem is lost and judgment has come upon all of, uh, of Jerusalem, then what hope was there that anything could improve by making things right with God now? And sometimes, you know, your whole house can burn down around you. God can uh, judge pretty strongly. And you get to the, to the bottom and it can look like, what else? I mean, every, my sin has brought all of this judgment on me. What, what difference will repentance make now? Plenty. Uh, in this life and, and uh, in, in the life to come. But this was the excuse they were looking uh, to hide behind. I, I assume that most of you have talked with somebody in life, hopefully not yourself, um, but they hide behind that. Oh, no, I've been too long. It, no, it's, it's, uh, it's too late for me. It's no, I won't, you know. And they're brushing things off and, and trying to get us to leave. And so uh, he, he uh, declares, uh, say to them, verse 11, as I say, as I live, uh, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in even the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn, this is called repentance, from his way and live. This is what God wants. Turn, turn from your evil ways, for why should you die, O house of Israel? And here they are, they're talking about what good will it do and, and all of this kind of, I'm, I'm too far gone. And God says, you're not too far gone. I don't want to judge anybody. I don't know, I not only do I not want to uh, judge and chasten my own people, I don't want to judge the wicked. I want everybody to turn so that I can, can uh, bless them and, and lead them now for the rest of their life. And therefore you, O son of man, say to the children of your people, 
The righteousness of the righteous man shall not deliver him in the day of his transgression. As for the wickedness of the wicked, he shall not fall because of it in the day that he turns from his wickedness, nor shall the righteous be able to live because of his righteousness in the day that he sins. When I say to the righteous that he shall surely live, but he trusts in his own righteousness and commits iniquity, none of his righteous works shall be remembered because of the iniquity that he had committed, he shall die. And again, when I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, if he turns from his sin and does what is lawful and right, if the wicked man restores the pledge, gives back what he has stolen, and walks in the statutes of life without committing iniquity, he shall surely live. He shall not die. And none of his sins which he has committed shall be remembered against him. He has done what is lawful and right, and he shall uh, live." What God is saying is in how He deals with us in, in, a, in a relationship, He deals with us in terms of what we are right now, presently. And so the wicked man who's been wicked all of his life, God says, I won't deal with you on the basis of what you've been. I, I will deal with you on the basis of what you are right now. And if you will repent of your sin and turn to me, and live righteously, then that's the relationship that we will have. No one, God is saying, no one has sinned so greatly in their life that they cannot this instant tonight, in this six o'clock in the evening service, cannot turn from that sin and enter into a current righteous uh, relationship with God. But he gives a warning uh, to the other end of the spectrum. And that is the child of God who has a history of being faithful in the past, but is no longer being faithful uh, and is now living in disobedience uh, to God. And they are living under the illusion, at least the children of Israel were under the illusion that I'm better than the wicked man because at least I have a history, some block of time in my past where I walked with God, I served Him, I loved Him, and surely that counts for something. And God says, what I, I deal with you in this relationship, the relationship that I have with you is not with the person that you were 20 years ago. The relationship that I have with you is with the person that you are right now. And it's a, it's a good word. It's an important thing. No Christian, not one Christian in the whole world, not one Christian in this room, including myself, should ever, ever look back and our zeal for God, our service to God, our relationship with God, our obedience to God was at one time greater in our Christian life than it is tonight. Not one Christian should be in that place. Because to have a portion of my past in which I was more zealous, more obedient, uh, serving God in a, in, in a greater measure, growing as a Christian in, in a, a greater measure, and I am not that person now, there's a word for that, and it's called backslidden because I have slidden back from the person that I once was. And so often I think that for us as Christians, we think of backsliders as, as the, solely as the person who just goes back to the sex, drugs, and rock and roll sins of their previous to their Christian life. And, and we really narrow the band of the definition of a backslider as being some kind of, they've returned to notorious sin. That's not how the Bible uh, views it at all. Every one of us, if every one of us should grow in these areas for the rest of our Christian life, there should never be a point where we look back and say uh, uh, that some aspect of my Christian life was better in the past than it is now. And if it is, I'm a backslidden Christian. And it's as simple as that. I've walked with the Lord since 
1980. I don't know if even 5% or 10% of the people that began walking with the Lord back in those days here all of these years later are still growing in their relationship with the Lord still are engaged in Christian service still have a zeal for God a passion for God a torrent of living water coming out of their innermost being my point is and not to talk about other people my point is is it is too easy to be backslidden and not even realize it and for it to become so common uh, that the person who continues to grow all of their Christian life becomes so extraordinary that they're the nutcase when they're the normal Christian and the, the importance of really examining what do I have with God right now and not the old stories of, you know, I used to serve God and I used to know, and I'll tell you one time at a meeting he did this and this and this, and everything is five to 40 years old in terms of the stories or the illustrations of God working in my life. It's a foreign, it's a foreign uh, thing, and we need to let it uh, search our hearts. Uh, if Jesus is the example in the Christian life, and he is, then there will always be the need and the reason to continue to grow all of the days of our life. And that, that can be a hard thing uh, to listen and to hear, but it's an important thing so that you or I don't waste another day, another week, another month, another year in that condition. And what God is saying is, that can change tonight. And every one of us will leave this room tonight, and we will head off into the night uh, with the relationship with God that we choose to have. And if we are not where we need to be, where we look at, here's somebody who's been wicked all of their life, for decades, and they come and they repent of their sin and they come into a service like this and they are closer to God, more zealous for God, uh, growing in God than me who has known Him for 40 plus years. So it's important. What matters is what is the relationship that we have with Him right now? Because He doesn't have a relationship with the person anymore that we once were. Or he doesn't have a relationship with the person that we're going to be. He has a relationship with who we are tonight. And these are important words that God is speaking through Ezekiel to these people that are wanting to give excuses for continuing in the state that they're in. And he said, yet the children of your people, verse 17, say... The way of the Lord is not fair. Uh, and the idea is, wait a second, you're being too easy on the wicked and too hard on the righteous. And God's answer is, but it's their way that's not fair. And when the righteous turns from his righteousness and commits iniquity, and he uh, die uh, because of it, but when the wicked turns from his wickedness and does uh, what is lawful and right, he shall live because of it. And yet you say, the way of the Lord is not fair. O house of Israel, I will judge every one of you according to your ways, according to what you are right now. And every one of us has a choice. Again, the Bible says, if we draw nigh to God, He will draw nigh to us. Every one of us has the relationship with God that we want. He will meet us at the shallow end of the pool. He will meet us at the deep end of the pool. Uh, we determine the depth of our relationship with God and how much of the kingdom of God and this relationship uh, that we are going to experience this side of, of glory. And, and then in, in verse 21, 
And it came to pass in the twelfth year of our captivity, in the, in the tenth month, on the fifth day of the month, that one who had escaped from uh, Jerusalem came to me and said, The city Jerusalem has been ca- uh, captured. And now the hand of the Lord had been upon me the evening before the man came who had escaped. Uh, And he, God, had opened my mouth so that he came to me in the morning when he did. My mouth was opened and I was no longer mute. You remember that when uh, the Lord commissioned Ezekiel back in chapter 3, that God put a restriction on his speech that he would only be able to speak. The only time he was able to speak this entire period was when he spoke prophetically uh, for, for God. And then uh, later in chapter 24, the Lord told Ezekiel that his speech would be restored the day that a messenger came from Jerusalem to Tel Aviv to uh, report the the fall of of the city of Babylon. And as promised, it it happened exactly. And uh, the arrival of the messenger came uh, to Tel Aviv. It occurred on January 8th, 585 B.C., Uh, when, uh, as an eyewitness, he brought the news of Jerusalem's fall. Uh, The messenger arrived in Babylon fully 18 months after the destruction of the city, and the night before God restored the speech to Ezekiel, he had this limitation upon his capacity of speech for a full uh, seven years as a a prophet. And then uh, verse 23 the uh, Lord speaks to those who have survived that, uh, that great siege of in, in Jerusalem uh, that had occurred there and the destruction of, of the city. And then uh, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, they who inhabit uh, those ruins in the land of Israel are saying, Abraham was only one and he inherited the land, but we are many. Uh, the land has been given to us as a possession. So they're saying, listen, everything looks pretty bad. Jerusalem's destroyed. The whole you know, country is in chaos and in the various stages of destruction. But remember, God gave this land. He promised it to Abraham, who was a single person. Look how many of us, uh, even though so many have died in, in the battles against Babylon, uh, look how many of us survive, as if God makes these decisions on the basis of, of numbers rather than the quality of, of the individuals. And so they rationalized that, that if God had blessed and prospered uh, their great patriarch Abraham in, in the land of, of Israel and all of the challenges that he had faced related to uh, all of it, uh, and he was just one man, then they, being many compared to him, uh, they could expect to remain in the land. They would be blessed. God would prosper them uh, in an even greater measure than Abraham. And this was, the, this was what they were telling uh, themselves. Well, There's really one glaring problem with their rationalization, and that is that Abraham lived a righteous life. <laughs> and they didn't. And that was a big deal to God. Uh, you might remember the debate. Some of you are old enough to do it if you followed politics back then in 1988 when uh, Dan Quayle uh, and uh, Lloyd Benson was uh, involved in the vice presidential uh, debate. Uh, uh, Quayle was running with uh, George Bush Sr. and uh, uh, Benson was uh, running with Dukakis. And uh, this was kind of the, first, the start of not only presidential debates occurring, that, that had already gone on, but now they added the vice presidents debating uh, one another. And uh, you might remember Dan Quayle, he was kind of younger, and he, was to, and, and he had been brought onto the ticket in order to attract uh, the younger generation. And, try to, and, and so he, in the course of, uh, of the debate, he compared himself to President Kennedy. And of course, Lloyd Benson famously said, Senator, I served with Jack Kennedy. I knew Jack Kennedy. Jack Kennedy was a friend of mine. Senator, you are no Jack Kennedy. <laughs> and uh, that was the, the, the plummet now for Quayle. Ultimately, he did become vice president of the United States with uh, Bush Sr., uh, but that stuck with him the rest of the way. And so here they are, they're talking about Abraham and descendants of Abraham and all, and and, uh, God is saying, I knew Abraham. I was a friend of Abraham. 
and uh, ladies and gentlemen remaining in Jerusalem, you are no Abraham. And uh, if they wanted to argue about it, uh, uh, God was going to uh, tell them, uh, give them the, the clarity of, of the distance between them and, and Abraham in terms of, of, of their, uh, their character. And he said, um, verse 25, Therefore say to them, Thus says the Lord God, You want to know the difference between you and Abraham? You eat meat with blood. Uh, talking about the, uh, it, it, though the law hadn't been given at the time of Abraham, but Abraham obeyed God and was a friend of God. And uh, here they are, they're not bleeding the meat according to the law of Moses. You lift up your eyes towards idolatry, idolatry filled the land. You shed blood, murder, violence uh, filled the land. Should you then possess the land? You rely on your sword, you commit abominations, and you defile one another's wives, should you then possess uh, the land. And so, uh, the, the, uh, God confronts them with, with uh, their sin. They are nothing at all uh, like Him. And if they would have spent uh, half their time uh, uh, repenting that they did, trying to figure out a way uh, to live wickedly and still enjoy God's blessings, they would have been far better off. I, I, when I worked for the phone company, one of my supervisors, first line manager, uh, on his desk, we had to come in and see it every day when we came in to report concerning the work that we had gotten done that day. And it was just like a lot of companies today, every certain task had a number of minutes that you had to accomplish it. And if you came in uh, under that, and it, would, and it was enough to really keep you moving, and uh, you came in under it, there would have to be an explanation. And he had a, a little plaque on his desk that uh, read, it takes less time to do the job right than to explain why you did it wrong. And, uh, and that was the truth. And uh, he didn't want to hear any excuses. And uh, God didn't want to hear any excuses either uh, related to uh, any of this. And so, uh, uh, thus says the Lord, um, verse 27, uh, the Lord God, as I live, surely those who are in the ruins shall fall by the sword. The city is destroyed. They're living in the ruins. And he said, I'm even going to bring judgment. Even this hasn't brought them to a place of repentance. I mean, astonishing. And uh, I will still bring further judgment on them. And the one who is in the open field, I will give uh, to the beast to be devoured. And those who are uh, in the strongholds and caves shall die uh, of the pestilence. Again, no, uh, no repentance, no confession of sin, no taking any of this seriously. And so what does God say? He says, I know how to raise the stakes. I know how to stoke the fire. I know how you, you cannot win against me. I know how to get you there. And so he does that in his, in his uh, chastening. You, you can't beat God uh, in, in this uh, game. They were, they were trying uh, to play. For I will make the land most desolate, her arrogant strength shall cease, and the mountains of Israel shall be so desolate that no one will pass through. And then they shall know that I am the Lord when I have made the land most desolate because of all their abominations which they have uh, committed. And so the, the, the Lord says, the Lord because we're his children, he's, he's never going to give up on us. And, um, and he's always going to continue to work in our lives, whatever that form that needs to take. And so uh, God is either going to prove himself as God, uh, the God who is worthy of worship, worthy of our submission, our obedience, um, <clears throat> by uh, uh, the blessings that he pours out upon our lives as, as we obey him, or... Uh, as he elevates the chastening more and more and more until we finally uh, submit to him. He would rather pour out the blessings, but when he's forced to, uh, he knows how to raise children, then, then that's the stand that, that, he will, uh, that he will take. And as for you, son of man, um, it, here God is going to let uh, Ezekiel know a little bit about what people are saying about him uh, behind his back. And... Uh, that the, the people listen to his, the, the Word of God as he speaks it, but, but they, they won't uh, obey it. He said, as for you, son of man, the children of your people 
are talking about you beside the walls and in the doors of the houses. Wow. Um, there's, Spurgeon talks about uh, people in church having roast pastor uh, for lunch after the morning services. So uh, talking is always going on uh, toward any leader uh, in, in the body of Christ. And so Ezekiel didn't know what they were saying, and it was a good thing he didn't know what they were saying. Uh, but God was listening to uh, what it was that they were saying. And, uh, and they, they, they uh, speak to one another, and everyone is saying to his brother, uh, please come and, and hear what the word is that comes from the Lord. And so by this point in time, uh, Ezekiel has become kind of a, a spiritual star a little bit. All of these prophecies have come to pass, and and it's the thing to do. Remember, they didn't have like three blockbuster movies coming out a week in those days in the summer and uh, 75,000 channels to, uh, you know, surf in, on a television set or an internet. And so entertainment was fairly limited. And uh, so they would go and they would, uh, it, this was uh, amusing to them. It was a way to kill time, uh, to listen to something. And uh, everyone was saying, well, let's go, what are you doing? Let's go listen to the prophet and, and see what he says that uh, God is saying. And so uh, uh, God tells Ezekiel, uh, this is what's going on. Ezekiel had probably noticed he'd become a little more popular at this point. Uh, the people coming around to listen was getting a little bit greater. So, you know, he might be thinking, wow, I'm, you know, they're really listening. This is really becoming effective in their, uh, their lives. They're finally listening to the Word of God and taking it seriously. And the Lord said, so they come to you as people do, and they sit before you as my people, and they're hear they hear your words, but they do not do them. For with their mouth they show much love. They praise you and uh, say nice things, but their hearts pursue uh, their own gain. Indeed, you are to, as to them a very lovely song of one who has a pleasant voice and can play well on an instrument. Ezekiel, they're still coming. They're listening to you. Uh, it may look like uh, you're making an impact here related to their lives, but you're not. You, you're just entertainment to them. It's just, uh, they listen to the sermons, and it's just like going and seeing a concert or uh, listening to someone who can sing or can play, uh, play an, an instrument. And that's what you are to them. Uh, for they uh, hear your words, but they do not do them. And when this comes to pass, surely it will come, uh, all of these prophecies. Then they will know that a prophet has been among them. So they wouldn't listen to the Word of God. But when all of these prophecies came to pass, uh, the lasting le legacy of Ezekiel would not be that the people repented under his ministry, but that they would know that they had a prophet, someone who was faithful to speak for God, uh, to them uh, in, in, their, uh, in their life. So here you have a group of people curious about the Word of God and all, all these fulfillment of the prophecies and, and, uh, and, and curious to come to see now the, the spiritual uh, celebrity. Very, very polite uh, listeners, uh, but absolutely no intention of ever obeying what it is that uh, Ezekiel said. And so again, Ezekiel, he was entertaining, he was interesting, he was appealing uh, to them like a singer and, and like a musician, and uh, they did everything but what was most important, and that is to obey. These people, they liked to listen to Ezekiel, but they had no intention of obeying his words. And the problem is that God wasn't speaking to be heard. Uh, he never speaks just to be heard. He, he speaks to be obeyed because his words were going to come to pass. So God speaks to Ezekiel here and tells him that he's not to change and, and in his faithfulness to deliver God's uh, message despite the, the, the attitude of the people toward the Word of God. Again, we're not talking about the Philistines or the Moabites. We're talking about God's people. He was never to change on the basis of what they thought or how they responded uh, to uh, the, the Word of God. 
And, uh, and that, that, that Ezekiel went through a lot of rejection in his life. And to continue to be faithful on, uh, on, in the face of a tsunami of rejection like he did is, is extraordinary in, in terms of the power that God uh, gave to him, but also his uh, determination in, to be faithful uh, uh, to God. No matter what the reaction of, of the audience is, they have to be faithful to deliver the message, whether that's one-on-one or whether that's in a, in a, a, a larger uh, setting. And this is why you can never ever judge the spiritual effectiveness of something based upon the number of people who are present. Because we never know how many people are just listening to the sermon or the message as a song. Um, it is uh, something that is interesting to the person. They like a good sermon. They even agree with everything that's being taught. But it's possible to sit in the church week after week and year after year and to love sermons, love hearing the Word of God, uh, appreciating sermons, and uh, agreeing with everything in the sermons, and yet have no intention of obeying a single thing that is being spoken in those sermons. And it's a contemporary problem. It's not just the time of Ezekiel. And we wanted to search our own hearts here uh, uh, tonight. Uh, what kind of an expectation we bring to the Word of God and to the hearing of sermons or uh, the Word of God. Is there, yes, I love to hear the Word of God, but I bring with it, I am going to obey. Uh, Driving the church, Lord, I commit uh, to not only hearing Your Word today, but before I even hear what's going to be taught from Your Word, I commit to obeying it ahead of time, whatever it might be. Not even in the moment of the sermon. And, and to make that, that kind of, of a commitment. Uh, James warned in the New Testament, but be ye doers of the Word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. And it's, it's the same warning in the New Testament. The capacity that we have to listen and to listen and to listen and to listen, and then we begin to uh, cordon off uh, areas of our life that we will no longer allow the Word of God to impact, and then over time we find our entire life is cordoned off. But we do like church. Uh, we do like uh, the Word of God. Uh, we like to hear it, but we have no intention of obeying it. And James writes concerning that kind of person, that such a person deceives themselves. And as we mention every so often, it is the great deception that uh, this, uh, that uh, those of us who have walked with the Lord the longest can fall under, and that is this coming to the conclusion that we are spiritual on the basis of how much we know, as opposed to how much we know and are actually uh, obeying. That's that's what makes uh, the, the 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 difference. That's the person that's not deceived. And so I think it's good. To, is we're in really pretty heavy chapter. And, uh, but to ask ourselves when we uh, listen to God's Word, whether uh, we come into this room, for instance, we're willing to allow the Word of God to change us, uh, no matter what it is that is being spoken. Even tonight, related to lukewarmness and, uh, and, and to uh, being backslidden. I think it's best that uh, leaders don't know what people are saying about them behind their back. I mean, who could uh, stand knowing all of that? Uh, but it is important to realize, I think for every Christian to realize, uh, that God knows. And God listens. And uh, He takes note of it. And then He will selectively let the minister know what He wants him to know. I remember very distinctively talking with a woman years and years and years and years and years ago. She's a very caustic um, human being, very sassy. And uh, uh, cynical. And all she could ever see what was, was wrong with anything. You could give her a million dollars and she would find a way to complain about it. 
that she had to go down and cash the check. That you, that you didn't do that for. I mean, it, she just was that kind of a way. And she carried that over into every area of her life until she ended up uh, alone. And uh, could never figure out why none of her children uh, growing up and ultimately as adults ever wanted to go to church or have anything to do with Christianity at all. And as, as she sat in my office and we talked, it was one of those moments where the Lord was saying, you need to not be self-protective. You need to tell her. And uh, I talked with her about the part that she had played in the destruction of the faith of her children on the basis of talking down every single thing in every church she had ever attended, including this one, and to confront her uh, with that. It's a dangerous game, uh, and uh, nobody uh, should play it. Much better uh, to pray for leaders in, in, in the church, and certainly uh, pray, uh, pray for me. I personally, I can't imagine uh, the pressure of uh, our modern age in terms of, of technology. I'm not on Facebook. It's not because I'm better than people that are on Facebook. Well, marginally. <laughs> um, I'm not. I'm just kidding. Uh, but I don't need another addiction in my life. I'm, I'm halfway ADD, if not that already. It doesn't, it doesn't take anything uh, to distract me. What was that? And this is what my life has become. The older I get, the worse it's getting. And so I have enough distractions in life that I don't need another one of where I'm thinking while I'm preparing a Bible study, I wonder what's on Facebook. Or I wonder if everybody liked my post today. I, I, don't, I, I don't want to know that much about what people think about me. I certainly am not on Instagram or, or uh, uh, texting or whatever. Well, I text, but I mean, whatever this thing is that the president is always sending out. Tweets. All of that. How, how in the world, you know, I was raised in an age where, well, I was a good friend of, of Fred Flintstone and uh, Barney and Wilma, the whole group. But the average person had between uh, two and five friends that were current in our lives. And uh, you never knew fully what they thought of you because people didn't talk that way. They were your friends. They overlooked uh, things. Who could know every fault of every friend that would bring up uh, in, in your life? And so there, there was that, that safety uh, to be unencumbered and, and not uh, so self-consumed or self-aware. You could still be a, ki a kid. You could still be a teenager, enjoy life without all of that, that dynamic. I can't imagine when I think about the bullying that occurs online or being so tied to the technology that I'm putting something online every single day to see what people are saying related to that and then uh, hear, seeing all of that response to that. Who can maintain their sanity in mental health in this world knowing that much about what everybody thinks of us and what we think. Man, I am so glad to... Sometimes even with my iPhone, I, what's the... the what, you got the smartphone and the dumb phone. I, and Tom has no phone at all. And, uh, and, and he only has the luxury of doing that because the rest of us have phones. Otherwise, if any of us jumped out, he'd have to get a phone. We'd make him. So he's got that luxury. But my point is, is uh, this, uh, the, all these things that so often uh, get said, and, and I just think the more you can be separated from uh, those voices and, and, and what everybody thinks of us in life, uh, the absolutely uh, the better. And leave it with God so that he can do what he did with Ezekiel and let Ezekiel know what Ezekiel needed to know. 
And Ezekiel only needed to know just a little bit. If he knew everything, it would probably be uh, overwhelming. And so we finish there tonight. And um, if the worship team would come forward, we'll close in a worship song and we'll look to pick up chapter 34 um, uh, next week. I would intended to do both chapters, but I knew within three minutes I wasn't going to get there of the sermon. But I thought that, uh, this is where we're supposed to go, so there you go. I'm not apologizing. Uh, some pretty, pretty heavy things, pretty intense things, but important things that we've talked about, and the tendency to look across thousands of years of history and see the children of Israel in their rebellion uh, and, and how that progressively progressed within their life as some, something that is foreign to us, and yet there's nothing new under the sun. It is the same forces at work today uh, to make us lukewarm and to make uh, us uh, backslidden and, and to make us people who own, are willing only to listen to the Word of God but no intention to obey that. So maybe after the service there's going to be pastors and other men and women up in front if you'd like to pray with someone related to these things or someone else. But if, if these things have hit home in terms of where any of us have gone in our Christian life and and these things need to be talked with, uh, over with God tonight and then acted upon so that the relationship with God that we go to sleep with, the current relationship we have to be right, then whatever is required to go home and find a, a corner to just sit with Him and pray and ask again to be refilled with the Holy Spirit and to revive these things that were once there. He will meet us there and He will bring us into the place that that pleases Him and is a blessing to us as well. Let's stand together and we'll close in prayer.